Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kim Greenhouse from It's Rainmaking Time. I've really missed you. It's been quite a long time, hasn't it? Well, guess what? I'm coming back. Back in the saddle in November of 2017 to do one big special a month and some commentaries and maybe some other interviews in audio. I've been to Europe several times this year, and it was a real pleasure to be back in Berlin. And for the first time, I got a chance to go to the Netherlands. And I have to tell you, boy, did I enjoy it. It was such a treat. You know how you save the best for the last? (laughs) Well, there's more to come. I'm sure there's more to come. And there's so much more to learn and to see. But What a charming country and lovely people. Very joyful, very well receiving of Americans. And if you're, you know, depending what country you're from, but they seem to be like very receiving of everybody. I had a lovely hostess who treated me very, very well and gave me a warm welcome and great hospitality. I had a chance to meet with a lovely couple. She's a clairvoyant. He's a a dowser and quite extraordinary that was outside about an hour outside of Amsterdam. I just loved it. Wow. I look forward to going back. (laughs) Terrific. I had a chance to visit Paris and Aix-en-Provence twice this year and went to meet with several souls who I never had met with before to work on setting up a production team in Paris and learned a lot got over my concerns about being in the Paris metros and dealing with a big, tough city like Paris and a lot of unexpected surprises there. I want to share some of the goodies of what happened. (laughs) When I first got from Aix-en-Provence to Paris, I had taken a train and Everywhere I go, there's this neat thing that happens, which is I meet tons of people. I mean, I meet people everywhere. And I think this is part of the magic of travel. When you're open and you have to ask people for help. And of course, I'm asking people for help every day because I'm lost all all the time and can barely find myself from point A to point B. And I have maps and the GPS usually goes out. It's incredible. These guys are helping me with my bags and I have like two one medium-sized bag and a uh, then a smaller bag, but not a small bag. And he hands me the bag. He helps me get it off the train. And I'm dragging the thing. I mean, I'm pulling it on the wheels and everything. And all of a sudden, I'm dragging the whole bag. The bag is just being dragged on the on the ground. So I, I apparently it's getting heavier and heavier. And I'm not looking at it. It's like behind me. <laughs> and this guy, he must have been British. He goes, "Ma'am, ma'am, um." You're losing your wheels. <laughs> your wheels are coming off. <laughs> it's a good thing I wasn't flying a plane. So I looked down. The wheels are like one one set of wheels is like it's so chopped. It's so gone. And it's not a good thing to be in Paris with like not enough wheels. Not a good thing. So several people start gathering around and helping me. I mean, and I when I tell you I have a bag, this thing is so heavy that I could be in like one of the weightlifting championships with this thing. Anyway, well, I finally get it into a into a cab, and the cab takes me and drops me in the middle of a construction zone. <laughs> I kid you not, in the middle of a construction zone with these bags. And now I don't have, I have now three bags, uh, two bags actually, one, two, three bags I have now. 
in the middle of a construction zone and I'm supposed to find the building where I'm where I'm renting an Airbnb. I finally get in the building right in the construction zone. They don't tell me that. I get up to the floor and unbeknownst to me, I'm now sleeping in the woman's bedroom who owns the place and she's got like four other people there. Very funny woman, a psychologist, very funny, great personality, but nobody tells you, hey, you know, there's going to be four people here so that you don't know. So anyway, forget locks on the doors, forget all that. If you're from LA or New York, there's like no hope for you. (laughs) I meet a bunch of new people and then my big, her, my big psychological thing was I've got to get over using the metro. I've got to get over the fear of being in Paris and using the metro. And I do. I get a lot of help. I get lost everywhere. Everywhere. Like being in a matrix. So a couple of things in Paris don't move as quickly as I would like. Nothing shocking here. And But I'm going to come back. So this one lovely man that I meet in production says, I will hold your bag. Don't worry. I will hold your bag. So I, I literally give this guy the biggest bag I think I've ever seen in my life. Now, I don't know him. And of course, I don't put a lock on it because I forget to do that too. I totally trust him. And I go off and all of the transportation avenues to get from point A to point B are on strike. So the strike hits the following morning. Well, I'm out of there at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm at the train station because I'm getting the heck out of Paris because that would be like leaving me in one place for who knows, a week, two weeks. I get out of there and I go to Amsterdam and then to, I can't even pronounce it. And if I pronounce it, I'm going to embarrass myself, but Enheisen, Eckheisen, I don't know. I, I think I'll take a clip from the interview I did with this lovely couple and put it in there, but I'm pronouncing it completely wrong. <laughs> Something I did all throughout Holland. So I go up there and I, I think I'm just there. I just say, oh, I'll just go for three or four days. Now I know everybody who goes to Holland, all they want to see, okay, are the museums and get on the boats, the whole bit. I don't see one museum. I don't know from a museum as far as I can tell. I am so confused getting around. I'm lost everywhere. I'm constantly lost, but it's so charming. It's like a pleasure to get lost. When I got there, it was storming. I've never seen such rain pound down so hard. Well, maybe in the Southwest. It was cold and rainy and wow, and, uh, but it was great. I was supposed to leave in four days and my host says, some people have canceled. Would you like to stay on another two days? And of course I say yes, because the thought of having to go back to Paris and deal with this matter is not very comfortable. So I say, yes, of course, I'll stay on a few more days. I stay on two more days. My hostess says to me or sends me an email, somebody else canceled who was supposed to be here. Would you like to stay on another two days? I mean, I told her, I feel like Scheherazade, you know, this is like Scheherazade, you know, I don't know who the storyteller is, but all I know is my four days have turned into eight. I'm so glad I had a chance to be there eight days. And for those of you who haven't had a chance to get to the Netherlands, you really should go. I also went to The Hague. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. And I got a chance to spend time with and the Start Mail team. And you'll hear about an interview I did with him, a lovely man who has been there since the beginning. So that was great. And then I come back to Paris. I'm just giving you a quick sketch to finish my production meeting. And I get there and uh, somebody says to me, uh, stay near Gardenor, <laughs> which... Doesn't sound very good, but I rent an Airbnb and of course they don't tell you you're going right to a hotel in a terrible area. 
So I ended up at this hotel in a terrible area. It was frightening, and somehow I made it to the metros and got everywhere I needed to be. But the first morning I was there, I a friend and client of mine said, look, why don't you go to this great vegetarian place in Paris? It's over here, da-da-da-da-da. And when you're not taking taxis everywhere, getting from point A to point B is not so simple, but it's also not so simple in a taxi. It's just unbelievably expensive beyond repair. So I get on the metros, I schlep over to the Republic area, Republic, and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm walking and obviously I was dropped off maybe eight to 10 minutes before I could get to the right place. And I walk down the street and I see all these police. So I go up in my half broken French and and half broken English (laughs) and a little sign language I must add. And they say, bonjour, madame and monsieur, where am I? Where are we and what's happening and why are you here? And they said, there's going to be a very big demonstration. And I said, is it safe? And they said, well, we don't know. If I were you, you have eight minutes. I would get down that street and then make a right. I'm thinking, what? And they go, yes, and about 150,000 people will be here. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I, I practically ran, but I walked and fell twice in like potholes or whatever got down there and all of a sudden it's getting louder and louder and louder and i'm walking right into this demonstration so i run into this restaurant that looked kind of nice and i i go ahead and uh, i order lunch and i you, you get a clear view out the window of this demonstration make a long story short i'm there i finish my lunch I'm drinking water and there's a woman sitting across from me sitting down right at the window alone in like a four-person chaise lounge and I had some of my meal that I hadn't touched at all and I offered her some food and I said come on you should have this because otherwise it's going to go to waste we ended up talking turns out she's a doctor in Paris spent a lot of time in Israel and has a very successful practice and is involved in all kinds of interesting ventures. And we end up talking, I end up meeting her friend uh, who works in the Congo as an architect and builder, and also in Paris, had a great conversation. I end up in their, in their chaise lounge. <laughs> and we end up talking for a couple hours, then they leave, I'm sitting there alone, and in walks a cameraman and a sound guy. And they sit down. I have them come sit down with me. We end up talking for an hour. They're in the middle of working out what they have to do for their production shoot of this demonstration. And that was great. It's like this was all set up. I didn't have to construct my meetings. I had some meetings that were set up by the, uh, by the big kahuna above. And then I left and came back to my lovely, lovely hotel space, which by the way, was very expensive for being in a terrible area and not the greatest accommodation, I must say. So Paris ended up, the return to Paris ended up being much more productive than I had imagined. Although I must say that after visiting Amsterdam, I was, I had already been charmed by Amsterdam. I was already Holland and and the Netherlands are like the seductress, you know, and uh, here I was in Paris, you know, like the tough place. And the texture of the place was quite different. That was a bit of a hard shift to shift gears to go from the Netherlands to P. 
Paris. Anyway, Paris completed. I came back to Berlin and I've been in Berlin eight or nine days and I returned to the United States to Las Vegas. I have been in a major life and professional transition and part of traveling has changed my life. And I'm not the same person I was before I began my international travels extensively in 2014 where I lived in other countries. And I'll be forever a changed person from traveling. It is one of the best, how do you say, um, elixirs in life. One of them. And you're never the same once you've traveled and lived in a place and really spent time with the people. I must say that I meet a lot of wonderful people. I'm very lucky that way, very fortunate. I do want to talk about Las Vegas, and I want to talk to you about how I feel about it, what I think about it. First, I want to extend my condolences, my heartfelt condolences to all the people who lost loved ones and friends in this horrible mass shooting. There's no way to explain it. There's no way to justify it. There's no way to make it right because it's not right. And we don't want to normalize it either. It's not normal and it's not okay. I want to take 15 seconds of silence to honor the dead and people who are struggling with whether they will live or not live anymore. Thank you very much. The greatest contribution when something happens that's violent and terrible is to be in silence. And instead of being in silence, all of us, I'd say most of us, run to judgment, run to construct the story that we've been given about what happened. And I want to introduce something that's very unorthodox to the space of inquiry and investigative pursuits. Very much like there are separate but connected universes of the classified universe of operations, financing, infrastructure, and intelligence. There is also a very different financing, infrastructure, intelligence, and activity in the unclassified world. That's our world, civilian life. And when you go to solve a problem and you go to figure out what happened, the first thing that you have to do or be willing to consider is if the forensic gestalt you're trying to get the answers in occurred in a classified or unclassified space. Then, because the signature patterns in an event gestalt will be totally different. The language will be different. In a civilian world, there are also, and I'm introducing this into the realm, it's not the final answer in anything, but I'm introducing this as food for thought. In an event, in a violent event gestalt space, there are essentially two types of occurrences. There's the organic, who did it and what happened, where you have a civilian or you have a person or a group that perpetrates something violent. 
There's also another type of gestalt where, yes, a person or a group perpetrates something violent, but they have assistance from intelligence agencies, rogue mercenary operations, and some other type of operations that are participating in the violent event gestalt space in which the event we are seeing is happening. The problem with attempting to think you know what happened because the news told you what happened is that an intervention or cooperative violent event space has a different forensic signature than an organic one. So a synthetic one is joint ventured with law enforcement, uh, mercenaries, mercenary groups, special forces. By the way, all these people are also good. But what I'm saying is, but when they're rogue and they're, they're not good, they cooperate in this type of behavior. So since most of us feel compelled to receive and absorb the official stories, most people don't do investigative work. And most people don't want to ask the questions that need to be asked. And most people need to believe the news. My father was a brilliant man. He needed to believe the news, no matter what. Anything the news said, he believed. Because the news was the authority on what's really happening in the world. We know different now. We know different now. However, what I want to introduce into the space is a willingness to suspend the need to know the truth until more facts are gathered, more information is gathered, more organic information is gathered. You have to be able to identify what the gestalt in the event space, what its forensic signature is. And that's what I want to say about that. And for those of you who don't accept the official story, don't feel bad about it. Just know that what surrounds you for using critical thinking and having a funny feeling about it are people that are like my father. He was a good man, okay? He was trained in a particular way, but he needed to believe the news. He had to about everything. He never questioned the news. It was the authority. And so that's the, that's the risk of doing critical thinking, stepping back, following your hunches, your gut instincts, and taking data where you can't. So that's what I want to invite into the space as, we, as the events of what happened in Las Vegas recently are being regurgitated and information's being dumped both, both online and radio and television that many of us sit in silence and send some love and healing for everybody involved who saw it. Of course, they're gonna keep replaying it over and over, but also, to be willing and be bold enough and mature enough to give it time, just like a, a good meal simmers. It takes time. It takes time for the forensics to reveal the full plethora of what happened. I also want to invite those of you who would like to advertise with its rainmaking time through voice advertising. That voice advertising will be available. A few years back, I used to write the advertisements for products and services of companies and individuals with whom I really liked and felt good about. 
I would write their one, two, and sometimes three-minute ads to be placed in between as a space holder between the segment and the first part, second and third part of a segment of its rainmaking time. We sold ads when we interviewed, did the interview with NASA and many best-selling authors. And for those of you who would like to get your company or body of work or product out in front of other people, like the work that I do and that we do here, please let us know and we'll prepare an ad for you to go on its rainmaking time. You can buy a series of ads or you can buy one at a time and we'll design the ad for you and and, and I'll do, personally deliver it during the show. If you have any questions or comments or if you would like to write me personally and tell me you are excited and ready for the show to be launched again in November, you can write me at timing at rainmaking.com. That's my company, the Rainmaking Company timing at rainmaking.com and let me know that you are excited and ready for its rainmaking time to kickstart again and tell all your friends and loved ones and colleagues and we look forward to being in touch with you soon it's rainmaking time